Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because, you know, if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. Or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Be a part of the best pro wrestling podcast today by supporting the Going In Raw Patreon. You can enjoy access to the live taping of the show, exclusive merchandise, and patron-only episodes, and so much more. Support Going In Raw today. Click the link in the description. This is Charlotte, and you're watching Going In Raw. That sounds terrible. What's up? This is the most musty WWE superstar of all time and his lovely, gorgeous wife. <laughs> and you are Going In Raw. What's up? It's your girl, Sasha Banks, legit boss, and you are watching Going In Raw. Oh, baby, I like it raw. Oh, baby, I like it raw. And you are tuned in to Going In Raw right now. How you doing? Hey, Brendo, Steve here. And Larson. Hey, welcome to Going In Raw Review. We don't have a name for this. We're not going to get a name. I, I, feel love, like, I feel like that's the unofficial title. I love every single one. And I know somebody out there. I'll have to look it up on the Twitter. I think somebody out there originally pitched Going In Raw View. Um, I didn't just make it up myself. I kind of made it seem like that last week, but I'm pretty sure I took it from somebody. So I'm going to give them their credit at some point. Um, anyway, this is the show here at youtube.com forward slash Stephen Larson where we review old stuff. Why are you looking at me? I'm looking at your shirt that literally just came in the mail. Why would you say something like that? So it, I'm just looking at it. It kills my cool. Like, who just like... No, it doesn't kill your cool. You were up. so excited to wear your awesome shirt that you took it out of the package and put it right on. That's I'm a big fan of Pete Dunne. That is. That doesn't make you nerdy, Mark. I like Mark Andrews too. Now it's a good looking shirt. Right? It is a great I looking might shirt. Try to rip off the color scheme. This is a great color scheme. Mm-hmm. They, hey, people want to know what color the cruiserweight classic should be? Black, yellow, and maroon. Burgundy. Mm-hmm. What's the difference between bur- burgundy and maroon? I think burgundy might be a little more purple. Oh, interesting. Because uh, like burgundy wine, mm-hmm. the burgundy region. This show is available at youtube.com forward slash Stephen Larson. Be sure to hit the subscribe button. Make sure you get notified whenever new Going In Rock content goes live. You can also find us at the Patreon and patreon.com forward slash Stephen Larson. Right now is a great time to support creators, Larson. It is. Patreon's a great way to do that. Okay. We have many, many wonderful reward tiers. You can be one of those reward tiers, too. I don't think that makes any sense. Makes zero sense. No, uh, we're also available at Going In Raw Pro Wrestling Tees. 
ProWrestlingTees.com forward slash going in raw. This be an interesting episode. <laughs> can't find this shirt there. This is only available, I think, at Pete Dunn's Big Cartel it shop. It is not. He has currently no t-shirts. As of today, Thursday, he has no t-shirts right now at his shop. But he said, I think he said next week, more to come. I wonder if this is available at Mark Ann. This might be sold out. If they made this exclusively for me. That is not true. For Steve at going in raw. We really like you, Steve. We're going to send you our shit. Thanks, Pete Dunn. Anyways, um, let's get on with this, man. This week we decided we, we so it, we, we decided to do Halloween Havoc 1992. Yeah, for no particular, like, uh, we like finding the weirdest. Well, I found I whatever pay per view we think is going to confuse found, us most. I, I found a, a list of uh, interesting mm-hmm. WCW pay per views somewhere on Reddit. Yeah, and there's like a dozen of them. Yeah, there's a lot of good ones. And so I sent that list to you, yeah. and we looked them over, mm-hmm. and it was down to this one, and I think... Bash of the Beach 94, yeah. which was, I think was Hogan's WCW yeah. debut paper. It was going to be one of these two. Yeah. In the end, we went with Halloween Havoc 92. Yeah, you can't go wrong with a Halloween Havoc. They and then we saw the poster. Weird. The poster of this is great. I know. Because it's Sting being attacked by snakes. That's kind of your worst nightmare if you were in Sting's Oh, place. for sure, yeah. Because doesn't like snakes. If that was Steve here and not Steve Borden, yes. then it would have been, yeah, it's terrifying. But it's really well done poster. It it's is. like, he's there like... And they had a lot of really good posters back then. They did. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so 92, weird. Again, WCW is just weird. There was so much weird that happened there. It really was just like, I, I, I looked up. I had to look up in this. Hold on. Before you continue, I want to ask you one question. Hmm. If, this didn't, if, if this didn't specify the show took place in 1992... What year would you think it took place in? Based on the wrestling, based on the pre- based on how the show was photographed, shot. Oh, 1982. 1982. And the wrestling itself. Yes. Yeah, WCW is always 10 years behind the times. But then you go to Halloween Havoc 94, and it suddenly feels like you're 1996. <laughs> doesn't it? I didn't see any of Halloween Havoc no, 94. Oh, sorry, 93. That's the one with Vader and Cactus Jack there. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. They got, like, a crane. Yeah. And they got, like, multiple Suddenly, cameras. Suddenly, it's been a year. It's like yeah. they, they leapt forward three years. <laughs> Maybe there was a change in the helm. You know what is might... That, ex- is that when Ted Turner bought it? Maybe. You know what might explain it? Because there was still the weird situation of... what? The, okay, so there was the NWA World Heavyweight Championship. Yeah. And then there was also the WCW championship. championship. Yeah, this this uh, Ric Flair, this show happened when Ric Flair was in WWF. Oh, yeah. Um, and WCW didn't leave the NWA for another year. So. Oh. And so when that WC- was until 93, I thought yeah. that was 91. I think it was just kind of like a drawn out process. Yeah. <laughs> okay, yeah. Um, and so I, I believe Flair went to WWF with probably the old NWA world title. Okay, yeah, that sounds right. And so they created a new one. Yeah. Um, you know, which we know now or was as a WWE World Heavyweight Championship. The big gold belt. Yeah. Um, and so when WCW left the NWA, Ric Flair had that belt. Mm-hmm. And so they renamed that the WCW International World Championship. That only lasted for like 10 years. And then years. they merged yeah. the belts. Okay. A year or so later. Oh, okay. That makes sense. I looked into that too. So the one that was fought, wait, did Sting have? Sting no, what, have what did Ron belt? Simmons have? He had the WCW world title. That was the WCW world title, but and then uh, Masachono had the NWA title. The NWA title. Okay, all right. Great. I know it's confusing because when we watch wrestling, 
mm-hmm. a lot yeah. in the mid-90s. Yeah. What was the NWA title here was the WCW title. Right, exactly. So I can understand the confusion. So I saw that Chono was wearing that belt. I was like, very weird. I didn't know that was the NWA belt yeah, for a while. that's weird. Um, yeah, there's all sorts of weird in this. That WCW, how do you... I, I'm trying to think of a good metaphor here. Uh, WCW, because I had to look up, why was Rick Rude there? Why was Jake the Snake there? And it always, and it was always, it was always, I mean, if you weren't like raised in the NWA, like Sting is like an NWA guy. Like he's a, he was brought up in that, you know. Or and, Flair. For or Flair. Yeah. Like, yeah, of course, Flair. Guys like that, guys who have NWA, that, that made sense for them being in WCW. But guys like Rick Rude, who blew up in WWF, why was he there? Pay dispute. Jake Roberts, why was he there? Pay dispute. <laughs> it was it was the only reason anybody was in WCW if they didn't come up in the NWA was because money, because of money. It was because or Vince pissed, pissed them off in some way. Um, so it was it was weird. Like again, also, so we start the show. With Shivani and Bruno Sammartino. Yeah, that was surprising. That was weird. Like, why was Bruno there? He was like the most WWF champion ever. Yeah, but didn't they? Didn't uh, WWF and Bruno have a falling out of some sort? Yeah, which is why he didn't which go is to why the Hall of Fame exactly until, until way later. So again, something like that. Again, why was Bruno in WCW? Because he's pissed off of the WWF for some reason. Probably about money. Um, the show did have. Amazing opening graphics. It was fantastic. Anytime there is like an early 3D render, like these days, that wouldn't even be your first 3D render. Like that's what you would be working with. <laughs> you, that, that would be, that, that'd be your work render. That, oh, yes, no, it's pretty much like how you storyboard the actual thing. Right, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, of a haunted house, there's a 3D rendering of a haunted house. The camera very, and you know what's funny is that the camera took a really odd path. To get to the door of the haunted house, it took a very unnatural path. So somebody's keyframes weren't right. Yeah. But it probably took so long to render it out. They didn't want to. They didn't change it. No. They didn't fix it. Um, And then we got ghost versions of all the wrestlers participating, and that was really well done. Yeah. I I wonder how like how long it took that computer to render out that opening graphic. Probably like two days. Mm -hmm. Probably a very long time. Yeah. So. Kudos to whoever did yes. that. Money well spent. Yeah, definitely money well spent. So, so yeah, uh, Tony Schiavone and Bruno opened the show, mm-hmm. and uh, they explained the rules of spin the wheel, make the deal. So Which is, it's a great rhyme. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Um, so for the main event, doesn't really apply. Half of it does. Not really a. You definitely spin a wheel. Yeah. There's no deal in yeah, that. Yeah. 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 I mean, besides, what's the deal with this match? That could be it. Yeah. Um, so then it'd be spin the wheel. What's the deal? <laughs> um, so the main event was Sting versus Jake Roberts. Um, yeah. And I guess the motivation for this goes back to August 2nd yeah. during a show in Baltimore um, where Jake attacks Sting. Sting that night was supposed to face Vader for the WCW title. Uh-huh. Gets taken out of that match due to the attack by Jake. And then Ron Simmons takes Sting's place and wins the title from Vader. Okay. Now, first off, I have to mention this. I did, in fact, look up why Jake the Snake was there in WCW. There's kind of an interesting story there. He was promised a spot on the writing staff by Vince, according to Jake. Vince didn't give him that. And, in fact, when Pat Patterson was suspended or had to leave because of the sexual harassment allegations thing that he went through, apparently, um, there was a spot open. And Vince didn't fill it out of respect for Pat. 
And Jacob said, "You you promised me that you were going to do that." And then he and then apparently he promised he he told Vince, "If you don't let me out of my contract," he was so pissed off by not being allowed to be on creative, he went out of his contract and he said, "If you don't let me out, I'm going to no show wrestle the next WrestleMania." And so I guess Vince did let him out. He had to not wrestle for 90 days. He showed up in WCW um, just towards the, so he was in a 90-day uh, no-compete clause. Yeah. At day 87, Bill Watts replaced the executive who was there before, who was on good terms with Jake. Bill was not. And so Jake ended up with a contract originally at $2.5 million, which was reduced to $200,000 per year. Wow. So that's according to Jake. Um, so that's why. And, and Jake was not there very long at all. He yeah. debuted in August. He was gone by, I want to say, December before Starcade. This was the only pay-per-view he, was, he did. Interesting. Yeah, isn't that crazy? And they went on the indie circuit. Then in 96, he went back to WWF. Interesting. Yep. Interesting. So the, yeah, the main event was Sting versus Jake. Mm-hmm. And I, I believe it was Jake who concocted this idea for mm-hmm. spin the wheel, make a deal, yeah. make the deal. Yeah. And I kind of got the sense that he actually made the wheel himself. <laughs> um, so it was, a, it was a giant wheel with a dozen stipulations yeah. on it, ranging from a barbed wire match, cage match, uh, bull rope match, mm-hmm. chain match, and then also something called a coal, coal miner's glove, glove match. match. Yeah. Which I had no idea what that was. I had no idea what that was. Um, we'll find out about yes, that a little yes, bit later on. Um, following that, we had some shots of Cactus Jack training the Barbarian. This was one of the more interesting aspects of this show because throughout the pay-per-view, we got segments, montages, if you will. Well, really, it was just a couple shots here a and there. A couple shots here and there of Barbarian training for this match. So one of those training segments involved, for example, him on all fours with three concrete cylinders, or blocks. Uh, blocks, thank you, on his back, and then somebody with a sledgehammer. No, not somebody. Cactus Jack. Oh, I thought Cactus was over here. Okay, maybe you're I right. At least one of them is okay. Cactus Jack. <laughs> and, and they swung the hammer down and broke cement blocks on his back. If that swing was, for whatever reason, off by two feet, maybe even one foot, paralysis or death, like, that was a legitimate shot right there. Mm-hmm. So, I, 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 again, I'm not sure how that helps him prepare for Ron Simmons. I don't either. Very confused. Yes. Um, also, Tony and Bruno talk about uh, Terry Gordy, who was uh, Steve Williams, Dr. Death Steve Williams' tag team partner, yeah. completely no-showed the event. And apparently that really happened. Apparently that was actually a thing. Didn't show up. Yeah. And that uh, stunning Steve Austin a young, yeah. um, was filling in for Terry Gordy as... Steve Williams' tag team partner. Yeah. Um, and then we cut to Missy Hyatt outside of Rick Rude's locker room because there's a huge deal about Rick Rude having to – he's supposed to wrestle two matches. He's supposed to defend his United States championship against uh, Nikita Koloff. Yeah, right. And then also challenge uh, Masahiro Chono yeah. for the NWA world title. Yeah. And he didn't want to wrestle two matches. Yeah. It's very confusing why the booking committee wasn't on the same page here. When evidently separate areas of the booking committee decided to schedule Rick Rude, like who was in control of the Rick Rude storylines? Why did two separate groups of writers think that they each had domain over a Rick Rude storyline? I don't know. Why were there two Rick Rude matches? Maybe they were just trying to get heel heat on them for not wanting to wrestle twice. Why would With anybody? Flair gone, they yeah. probably want a new top heel. Yeah. 
Rick Rude. Secondarily, why would uh, two years later Yokozuna be okay with wrestling two matches at WrestleMania when he saw clearly he could have gotten Vader to wrestle for him and not even have to forfeit his title? Yeah, I don't get that either. That didn't make any sense. What is in it for Vader besides, I mean, maybe Vader just liked to fight. I don't know why he would want to do that. There was a really, really sad footnote to that Vader match. Before. Yeah, I didn't know that until I saw your notes. Yeah. Um, then we go oh, to... Oh, hold on a wait, second. What? I want to go back really quick to the Barbarian training session because I forgot the first one they showed. Do you remember what it was? Yeah, he was in a ring. Yeah. And wasn't he just getting hit by people? <laughs> no. He was... He was... There was kind of... There was like five people yeah. circling him yeah. or around him. And he would run into them power slamming him. Oh, He would yeah, run yeah. into them. They would body slam him. That's he would it. get up and he'd feed into somebody else. Yes. So he was not practicing so offense. He was practicing bumps. It seemed like he was practicing against wrestling against five Ron Simmons. <laughs> oh, they did mention this. They were trying to... I, was it this match? Oh, I'm sorry. No, it was a different match where uh, uh, Rude... I think they've mentioned that both Rude and, and Masahiro Chono were trying to come up with strategies to counter their opponent's yeah. finishers. Yeah. So. yeah. No, that's totally normal. Yeah. Running into five different wrestlers. Well, I was thinking maybe, maybe the Barbarian was trying to uh, prepare his body yeah. for Ron Simmons' power slam. That, no, that could, I, think that, I think that is the point. I think point. that's why, but they didn't really explain I'm it. I'm just saying, like, what are the chances he's going to get power slammed and then be a power slam four subsequent times within a minute? I don't think very likely. Uh, Missy, From there, Missy Hyatt had a fancy little gold outfit on. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Oh, um, we were introduced to Jr. and Jesse Ventura. Yeah, commentary. Uh, Jesse was uh, wore his Halloween costume for the whole show. Jesse was great. He was. His Halloween costume was simply a black WCW logo shirt and a he had and, a cape and a cape. Yeah. Was he supposed to be a? Well, he had a mask on when when they cut to him. Oh, it was um, the mask off. What was the mask? I don't remember. It was like a. It wasn't a scream mask, but it was like a thing at the time. It was was kind of a scream-ish mask. Yeah. Yeah. So they introduced the show, Mm -hmm. and then we get our first match, which was Arn Anderson. This is great. Michael P. S. Hayes. Oh, oh, my favorite. And beautiful Bobby Eaton versus the Z Man, Tom Zank. Tom Zank. Johnny Gunn. No relation to the Smoking Guns. No. And uh, the future franchise, Shane Douglas. I love Shane Douglas, who was only two years removed from throwing down the NWA World yeah, title. Yeah, two years later. And uh, declaring allegiance to ECW. Um, interestingly enough, Johnny Gunn, like I said, not related to Bart or Billy Gunn. No. Who I don't think are related to each other. No. Um, I had to look this up. I had to look up who Johnny Gunn was because, I like, you know, it, it's not the best quality video that they have. And I was like, is that Bart Gunn? Because <laughs> I didn't know. Yeah. I was like, maybe he's just... And so I looked, no, it's not. He also wrestled under the name Salvatore Sincere, something like that. But then, apparently, he made the rounds as the Patriot without permission from the actual Patriot doing that. And apparently got sued by actual Patriot. Yeah. So probably not a... There's a thing called gimmick infringement. Yes. Johnny Gunn. Um, Johnny Gunn had a pretty great mullet. It was a beautiful mullet. Absolutely. It was pretty fantastic. Michael Hayes was still the most overdue here. Oh, the entire team of veterans were insanely over. <laughs> it, was, it was like, was granted, I know it's Philadelphia, in Phil, you know, but it was like uh, an audience of smart marks mm-hmm. in 1992 Philadelphia. Oh, yeah. It yeah. felt that way. <laughs> it did, totally did was. The guy, remember the guy who used to always sit front row at ECW shows with the hat? He was sitting front row. <laughs> that could be. That could be. That would not be surprising at all. Michael Hayes looked great, though. Here's the thing about Michael Hayes, too is that no matter how big his gut got, he didn't ever think that. That's true. His face, Michael Hayes, 
regardless of the outcome of the match, always had wind face on. He always he came out there as if he was still with the Freebirds. He came out there not even knowing that anybody was behind him. They all walked out to Bad Street, USA. Yeah, yeah, they, yeah exactly. And he got the la- like his his name was called last. It was great. What an amazing team. But, uh, yeah, Michael Hayes was getting a little thick through the midsection. Oh, yeah, but I think it just powered him. You think so? Because he was great. He was fantastic. He was still just all about Michael Hayes. Um, yeah, I mean, the match was what it was. The, the, the crowd was actually hot for this match. Oh, yeah, cool. and they were firmly behind oh, the, yeah, the veteran team. I mean, why wouldn't you be – you have Arn Anderson and Michael Hayes. You have the, the, the Freebirds and the Horsemen together. And then Eaton was Midnight Express? Yeah, I think so. Okay. Now I know the difference between Midnight Express and Rock and Roll Express because I've seen the Rock and Roll Express. I always remember Midnight Express was managed by Jim Cornette. Jim Cornette never managed the Rock and Roll Express? I don't believe so. He had to have. He inducted them. Because the... the, the Epic uh, rivalry. Yes. Gotcha. Okay. Interesting. I believe Midnight Express was, uh, at least for the most part, Bobby Eaton and Stan Lane. The best line out of this entire match was Jesse Ventura. This is great. One thing I don't like about Shane Douglas Jr. He looks like one of those right wing Republicans. Whoa, Jesse! Do you not know who your audience is? I get that you're working ill, but that's cutting to the bone for a lot of people, man. Oh man, people hated Clinton back then. Wait, this was no, this is before the election. Just before the, the campaign season was firmly going on, George Bush probably falling in the polls. It might have been an inevitability at that point. Could be. He looks like one of those right-wing Republicans. Oh, man, Jesse. Call it how it is, Jesse. I wonder how Shane Douglas felt about that. Maybe, <laughs> maybe, you know, people didn't like Shane Douglas. Maybe they, had like, maybe they had some political debates backstage with Shane Douglas, him and Jesse Ventura. I have no idea. Hey, Shane, who are you voting for next week? Ha, ha, ha. George Bush. Didn't, uh, oh, you're an idiot. Wasn't uh, Ross Perot? A candidate in that election, too? Mm-hmm, he was, yeah. Yeah, yeah. they said that he might have spoiled things for uh, George Bush. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, my so there's goodness. a couple other spots where the crowd was firmly behind the veteran team. There's a spot where Bobby Eaton uh, <laughs> clips Shane Douglas, hits him from behind mm-hmm. at the knee. Yeah. Crowd pops. Crowd goes court. crazy. But the veteran team does not pick up the win. No, they didn't. The heel team Because did. Johnny Gunn pins Michael Hayes following... A Luthez press. This pay-per-view... And the crowd boos. This paper. Well, okay. Let me ask. Do you think they were booing because the heels won? No, 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 no. The team, uh, Shane Douglas' team, were not the heels. <laughs> okay. Well, to the crowd they were. Do you think the crowd... <laughs> any team Shane Douglas is on is heels, man. Come on. You not in 1992. He was one of the dynamic dudes. How, they were not a heel act? No. How is that not possible? But man, they Is that what the name? Dynamic Dudes? Yeah. Okay. I think. I always got, so I know the Hollywood Blondes receive. I just Dynamic Dudes, I yeah, think. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Him and Johnny Ace. Him and Johnny Ace. Who, by the way, always looked like he was 45. Yeah, there you yeah, go. Yeah, Dynamic, Dynamic Dudes. dudes. Um, or were they booing because uh, Luthez Press, albeit it was a forceful Luthez Press. This was probably the most intense Luthez Press I've ever seen because Austin's, you know, he also popularized the, the, the modern day Luthez Press. Yeah. Um, but it was kind of... It was a transition move. It was just a setup to punch you in the face a lot. Yeah. Whereas Johnny Gunn's Luthez pressed, he would do the press, and he held his opponent's arms down and yeah. also wrapped his legs around his opponent's legs so they yeah. couldn't use 
their legs to kick I out. get the feeling, and I, I have no idea. I would love to ask Lou Fez about this, even though I think he's probably dead. He's got to be dead. I would right? think so, yeah. Lou Fez, he was wrestling in like the freaking 1890s. Well, Lou Fez. But I, I don't think that he died that long ago. 2002, yeah, it wasn't that long ago. 15 years ago. Um, what was I going to say about the Lou Fez press? Oh, is that I would think that maybe Lou Fez came up with that as a shoot finish. Because that you're not going to get out of that if the guy on top of you doesn't want to get, whether well, it's yeah, so yeah, much yeah. like Brock Lesnar, and you can yeah. throw the guy off you. So I, maybe that was a shoot finish. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, it could be. Uh, let's see. Following here. that match, a uh, segment with Missy Hyatt outside of Rick Rude's locker room. Oh, yeah. Um, Harley Race, mm-hmm. um, the former seven-time NWA world champion, Oh yeah. Um, enters Rick Rude's locker room Yeah. Um, for, I believe, unknown purposes at that time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and uh, Missy is trying to get a scoop, yeah, so man. she tries to get to the locker room. Doesn't happen. She makes some sort of comment about, this is the first time I've ever been told not to be in a locker room, Missy. <laughs> Anyways, back to Tony and Bruno. Bruno sometimes looked like he was sleeping like when he was standing there because he's got, like, little eyes. And so, like, sometimes, like, it just looked like he wasn't blinking. He was just like... Maybe you could do the thing where you sleep on your feet. Could be. Could be. That'd be interesting. I can never. I can't even sleep on a plane. No, I can't either. I can't sleep sitting up. Yeah, I can't do that. It's impossible. Next, Brian Pillman versus Ricky Steamboat. I think it's because my head's big. Yeah, I have a large head too. It's too. I can't just do this because like I just want my head wants to tilt one I way know. or the other. I can't I know. get perfect synchronicity. You know what I noticed about Neville during the two hundred five live? One eye is just, is decidedly. Higher on the face than the other. Oh, really? Yeah. Next up, we had... Um, Pillman versus Steamboat. I thought this was going to be a fantastic match, and it was a decent match. It was fast-paced. It was fast. Yeah, that's what I meant. I thought it was going to be a really fast-paced match, and it was fast. Not as fast. And it, how did it... It ended with, like, a weird roll-up. Yeah, um, the finish saw Steamboat do a sunset flip off the top rope, go for a pinning combination. Pillman reversed it, yeah. and then there was, like, an awkward reversal. Mm-hmm. For another roll-up where Steamboat got the pin. Again. the que- So when did him and Savage have their epic... WrestleMania 3. 3. So 87. 87. So this is five years later. Again, early, like months ago, I looked up Ricky Steamboat. He left WWF because they wouldn't let him. They were mad that he took a week off for the birth of his kid. And then they just started jobbing him out. So he, that's when he left. Yeah. And when he came back, they gave him that ridiculous dragon yeah. outfit. Um, Pillman, but after Steamboat left, he came to WCW and then had those series of matches against. I Flair. love that you just call it WCW. Do I? Yeah, <laughs> WCW. Um, rewinding a bit though, when Pillman came out, number one, his perm looked a little bit off. It looked a little misshapen. Oh, I didn't know. So that. maybe he was taking a nap in the back. I don't know because I would think you need to be upright if your perm's going to stay right. Number two, uh, he totally had loose face. I don't think Brian Pillman. New, I like, for example, probably a good guy to play poker against. I would think that maybe he doesn't have a good... On the other hand, he did that big swerve when he left WCW, but he was acting like he was still under contract with them, but then he went to ECW and then WWF. Yeah. That whole weird thing. So maybe he had a great poker face. I don't know. Maybe he just didn't care. I think a lot of people in WCW just didn't care. Anyways, terrible finish. Although, I did note here the... Dragon had that amazing sunset flip. Yeah. On the top of the rope. And like, he'd like bend space and time I going know. over him. That was cool. It was really well done. Cut to player, player, Teddy Long. 
That was great. Yeah. Yeah. He, he was, was interviewing uh, Masahiro Chono. Mm-hmm. He looked like a stud, man. Yeah. Chono was a freaking stud. Yeah. Um, and during <laughs> so during this interview, so they're, they're talking about the weird Rick Rude situation where somebody got to choose. No, each competitor got to choose a referee. Each competitor got to choose one referee each. But then WCW chose another two referees. No. I thought there were four refs no. altogether. No. No, each, each, each competitor got to choose a referee. And then Ole Anderson was WCW's head official. Yeah. And before the match started, there was a coin flip. Yeah. Um, determined what would, who would be the in-ring ref and who would be the referee outside of the ring. I thought when they said that, they said which two officials would be on the outside and which two officials would no, be on the inside. One. I'm pretty sure there were four refs for this match, dude. No, just go back and watch it. Um, well, I took extensive notes on the match. Here's the thing: that good job. I trust you. Here's it's probably both were right, and it's probably like three. No, minutes. this is a situation where just I'm right. <laughs> okay. Here's what I loved about the the contingent from Japan, the Chono's guys. Yeah. They all looked like they knew that that place was beneath them. <laughs> they all had this look on their face, like this is stupid. Why are we doing this? Yeah. Um. And another thing that I – some criticism for Teddy Long, put the mic in the guy's face because when he said, what are you thinking right now, he puts it down he, – he, like, puts it at his own mouth level, and the guy's up here, and he says something, and I'm sure that his English is fine, but you're also overcoming a, probably a bit of an accent. And on top of that, the mic's all the way over here, so I can't hear what the hell he's saying. Yeah, he was, he was announcing the selection. That happened twice. Yeah, he was announcing the selection of uh, Chono's ref. Who was like amazing wrestler guy? Yeah, <laughs> Ken Kensuke Sasaki. Sasaki, yeah. Um, so he would be Chono's selection as a referee for the NWA World Title Match. Yeah, if I if I had to choose my guest referee, and I was like, oh, you chose a hundred and three year old Harley Race. Well, I'm going to choose Shibata over here. <laughs> You know what I mean? Guess who's keeping that title? Yep. This guy. Um, following that, back to Tony Schiavone. Back this to time Shivani, yeah. with Bill Watts. And Bill Watts announces that Harley Race mm-hmm. is going to be Rick Rude's referee. Yeah. Very weird. And that Vader will be defending Rick Rude's U.S. title tonight rather than Rick Rude. Yeah. So then does that make Vader champion? No. I mean, they said there is some sort of injunction filed in court. Yeah, not didn't happen. Go ahead. No, but storyline-wise. Yeah. But they didn't expound upon that. Yeah. Whether WCW filed a countersuit or anything. They didn't say anything about that. Yeah. What so apparently the, it just took what one... What were the sides here? It just took one injunction. WCW was like, all right, fine, Rick. You don't have to wrestle twice tonight. So it was Rick Rude filing the injunction... Or filing the lawsuit, yeah, which led to an injunction against WCW. Yeah. They didn't appeal it. Yeah, and I don't know if terms of that injunction were that Rick Rude got a, a name a proxy for his U.S. title match, but that's how it worked out. That's how it worked because out. Because Rick Rude didn't have to drop the belt. Instead, Vader literally had his proxy in that match. Yeah. It wasn't like he gave the belt to Vader. No. No. Although Vader did pose a lot with it. Before the match, yeah. He held the belt up, right? And then even afterwards, during some sort of promo... He still had it. That's weird. It was very weird. Very weird. Yeah. Um, and so right after that, we had the match with the U.S. title. Yeah. Uh, Nikita Koloff versus mm-hmm. Vader. Yeah. Bad idea on Koloff's part to fight this. Because oh, we, hold on. Before you, okay. you know, I mention, there was a stipulation that uh, Medusa was whoops, initially barred from ringside when it was going to be Rick Rude in the match. Mm-hmm. But then uh, right before the match, it was announced that 
uh, Rude and Harley Race, who walked out with Vader, would mm-hmm. also be banned from ringside. Yeah. Well, that makes sense, you know. I mean, yeah. There's all sorts of shenanigans. By the way, Rick Rude was in ridiculous. I mean, I, I know he's always been, but my God, that man's body was immaculate. Mm-hmm. It was amazing. Mm-hmm. Oh my goodness! Do you know? Do you have you ever heard? Did he shave his mustache only to be in non WWE situations? I don't think so, because I believe in WCW he did have a mustache at some point. They mentioned the fact uh, during the the oh the, when he unmasked in '91. Remember, he was the the mysterious masked guy. He had a mustache then. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. Right. And also, they made a point of saying during commentary, either during this match or or his match against Chono. That he had shaved his mustache and it seemed recent. When was Magnum PI canceled? Eighty-eight. So it was well before this. Yeah. So it didn't coordinate with the canceling of Magnum PI. Okay. No. Who is this guy, Magnum? PI? I remember that guy. Oh, I do. Do you? Did yeah. he fly the helicopter? No, I thought he flew the helicopter. I don't. I don't remember. He who, didn't fly. I didn't. Remember, I don't remember his role in the show. I remember. I remember the the guy though. <laughs> so um, it was during this match that we learned that uh, tossing someone over the top rope leads to a disqualification. Didn't play until the end of the match. No, but it's good that we knew that. So 90, as late as 1992 in WCW, if you threw someone over the top rope, instant disqualification. Boom, you're done. Wonder, I wonder when that ended. I don't know. I don't know either. And they didn't have uh, mats on the outside of the ring. It was just concrete. Oh, I was going to mention that too. Do you remember in the, the rise and fall of WCW, Bill Watts? That was his thing. He said, no, I came in there, and I think people, I wanted to get some more realism, so I got rid of the mats. And then it cuts to, like, three different wrestlers saying, this idiot got rid of the mats. It doesn't help anything. It looks horrible. A, it looks terrible. I mean, this is coming from the guy who put brick floor, but that's as a joke yeah. in WCW. It looks terrible. It looks terrifying. Yeah. Harley Race had to take a bump down on the floor. And you're not going to have mats there? Like this isn't. We don't want this to be real. We don't see. We don't want people cracking their heads on the I know, concrete. I know. What year did Xbox crack his head on the concrete? Uh, I want to say ninety three or ninety four. I want to say ninety three. Yeah. And then what year did he rip his butthole? <laughs> <laughs> Much later. But then also when they did put the match down, there was that spot where with Vader and Foley where they pulled the mat back and then Vader power bombed Foley into the concrete. Yeah. And Foley got like a severe concussion and lost memory for a while. Oh God. Um, anyways, Vader won this match with a Vader bomb. Mm-hmm. His his Vader bomb wasn't terribly graceful. No, it wasn't. It looked like it legit hurt. Yeah, and he has legit hurt people with it. No, in fact, Nikita Koloff, this was his last match. He, uh, according to Wikipedia, anyways, um, he suffered a herniated disc in his neck off of a clothesline from Vader. We knew those were stiff. Yeah. Um, this, I don't know if you can really blame this on Vader. But he also got a hernia trying to slam Vader. So that's when your guts goes into your balls. Yeah. Yeah. That sucks. Um, but, yeah, the herniated disc in his neck, I think that probably... That's the one that probably that's retired, the one him, that yeah. retired him. Yeah. That sucks. That sucks. And I didn't really look... I didn't, like, go back. And, well, it was, like, mid-match that I looked it up or that I happened to read it. So I didn't really look at the actual spot. He wrestled for a while with both those injuries then. Because the the, pow- the body slam came maybe within the first two thirds of the match. Oh, oh, okay, yeah. all right. Eesh. My goodness. Oh God, can you imagine wrestling? I've never had a hernia. I can just imagine what it feels like. Probably doesn't feel good. I would imagine no. Yeah. Anyways, uh, oh, there was a, a great advertisement for the upcoming pay per view, Starcade Battle Bowl. Mm-hmm. It was like their version. I think they were trying to ape the Royal Rumble at that point. 
Yeah, something like that. Yeah, because it was like <clears throat> it was like every man for himself, and it showed a bunch of people getting thrown over the top rope. So either everybody was going for DQs or or it was some sort of thing. <laughs> everybody was going for DQs. <laughs> I looked up the card last night when they mentioned it. Oh, it was a tournament. Well, it's, it's kind of a lot of things. There's a lethal lottery tag team thing. Oh, Maybe my No, because there's a King of Cable tournament, um, and then there's Battle Bowl 2, which had not just King of TBS, King of Cable, all of Cable. Eight participants in Battle Bowl 2. Wait, if it's the King of Cable, why would they be on well, pay-per-view, I guess, the Cable? Yeah. So there's a lot of things going on. A couple on. lethal lottery tag matches, huh? Oh, that's when they just randomly pair people up together, I think. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Interesting. So what's Battle Bowl? There's only eight people in the match. Only one man can survive the battle. Oh, that's a ba- it is a battle royal. Yeah, okay. So it's there. Oh, all those guys. Battle yeah. Oh, it's the second. that was the second Battle Bowl. Yeah, there was a first. Wow. And the great Muta won it. Sting beat Big Van Vader. To be the king of cable. <laughs> Does that? When did that? Like when did his reign as king of cable end? Let's find out. Was there a king of cable two? Oh man! Oh whoa! We gotta watch that one. Jesse Ventura strongest arms arm wrestling tournament, 1992. Wow! What was that at? Was that its own pay per view? We have to look into that. Oh, definitely. That sounds fantastic. All right, that let's continue. Great tournaments. Anyways, uh, next up we got a uh, – was this one the promo with Dr. Death and yeah. Austin? Uh, where am I here? Yeah, this was cool. Dr. Death was not a pretty-looking man. He was kind of an ugly, brute-looking guy. But he delivered, like – it was the most pro-wrestling promo, screaming, pointing, probably a let-me-tell-you-something or at the end of the day. Yeah. We're both probably part of this. And then he said, he said, Steve, how do you feel about this? And then Austin said, like, again, the mic. He didn't talk into the mic, so I have no idea what he said. (laughs) I wanted to say, what? Oh, hell yeah. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Steve, how you feeling about this? After that, Missy Hyatt interviews Dustin Rhodes and Barry Windham. Goldust was a baby. That face was the most babyest face ever. It was baby. He was such a kid, man. God, what was he, like 20 years old? Probably. Pretty young, yeah. Pretty young. Barry Windham. He he gave the most Barry Windham promo ever. Uh, Apparently, it's funny because I remember Meltzer talking about Barry Windham. And he he said, yeah, and he mentioned how big of a star Barry Windham was at one point. Yeah. But he said... And I forget when it was, but he mentioned that he had been a star in a very, very specific, very short window of time. Was that when you won the uh, NWA title? Maybe. I don't know. I mean, I want to say it was around 89. They're like, oh, yeah, 89 in like, you know, the third week of October 89. He was massive. Top star in the he entire industry. Top star. But, you know, watching next was the match, uh, Dr. Death and Steve Austin against uh, Dustin Rhodes. 30 long match. And Barry Windham. Yeah. Barry Windham, for a guy his size, yeah. six seven, yeah, he moved really well. Oh yeah, yeah, he was pretty yeah. athletic. Yeah, absolutely. I wonder if he was the kind of guy who was because uh, I think I think he was the guy that Scott Hall was talking about in AWA when God, what was the story? It was some anecdote about how Barry was like he threatened to walk out on Vern. 
goes in there and like gets his last paycheck over and fired him or something. And then Scott Hall saw the paycheck and it was like huge. And and Barry Windham was just like, you know, like whatever, just another paycheck. That sounds right. I, something like that. But yeah. I think it was Barry. Anyways, what an interesting character. So, yeah, this match. Uh, that was a terrible story. I'm sorry. A I related 30 minute story. time limit. And we got all 30 minutes of it. I did not understand a lick of this. So, so there was a ref bump. Well, here, let's go. I mean, like the first 25 minutes of this match are just kind of whatever. It's still <laughs> only anything really happened in the last five minutes of it. Okay. So uh, there was a moment where the ref was distracted, and, and, and Dustin Rhodes sent uh, – oh, he was sent over the top rope. Gold dust over the, over the top, top rope. While the, while the ref was distracted. And then following that, ref bump. Okay. Ref's out. Okay. So with two minutes left in the match, yeah. Nick Patrick, longtime WCW referee. Oh, yeah, NWO referee. Yeah. yeah. Um, comes in, counts the pinfall. I believe uh, Austin had uh, Wyndham in a, in a roll-up. And the problem was Wyndham was not the legal man. He wasn't, but then Dr. Death like, gave him like the weakest-looking clothesline while on the ground. It yeah. was sort of like a fall-over clothesline. Yeah. But Austin got the pinfall uh, on, you said it was... Wyndham. Wyndham. But he wasn't the legal man. But he wasn't the, the legal man. So the, uh, the, the, the first ref gets back in the ring and says, no, not the legal man, doesn't count. Um, and so there's uh, maybe one or two more pinfall attempts by uh, Austin and Williams, maybe. But I kind of feel like, like the end of this match was booked the opposite of how it should have been. Because I think at least one time uh, Dustin Rhodes tried to pin Austin. But I feel like if you really want to build the drama, you need to have Austin and Williams Going for the pinfall. Yeah, no, you're exactly right. And in fact, Jesse Ventura even said that's why I was so confused by this because so they were aimed. So was 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 Goldust and Wyndham? They were, were champions. Were they up by a fall or were they just no, no, trying no. to? So this wasn't like however many falls you can get no, in no. the time limit. No, this was once the draw happens, we're still champions. We're yes. good. Yes. So you think they just want to milk the clock. Right. But instead, they were going for the pin, and Williams and Austin weren't. They were, they were getting their butts whooped. Yeah. And so it should have been the opposite. They should have been furiously trying to get the pin. Yes. And even Ventura and JR pointed out, and JR was like, they don't need it. He doesn't need to be doing this right now. Yeah. They, they just need to wait it out. Yeah. <laughs> and then uh, Dustin gave uh, Austin a tombstone with like 30 seconds left. Oh, yeah. And then that was the end of the match, pretty much. Yeah, that was it. It, it was, was weird seeing Stone Cold not wrestle like Stone Cold, like doing drop kicks. Oh, before Owen messed up his neck, I know. I know. It was interesting. Yeah, I know. It, was, it, it is kind of... It's What's interesting about Austin always to me is that the difference between Stone Cold Steve Austin, the megastar, and stunning Steve Austin, there isn't that huge of a difference. But there is something that simply clicked with Stone Cold. Maybe it was the bald head. Maybe it was the goatee. Maybe it was the working man gimmick thing. Maybe it was the, the no but BS you know thing. He, he even punched differently when he was Stone Cold versus mm. how he did yeah, at the show. That, yeah. Like just the, the, the motion of his punch. You could tell it's Stone Cold still, mm -hmm. but it's different. Yeah. So much of how he moves and delivers moves were different as Stone Cold yeah. versus how they were as stunning Steve Austin. Yeah. It's just weird because you don't see, honestly, like when I look at it, I don't see the ingredients to a superstar. I really don't. And then even when you see his promos in ECW, they're very entertaining. But, you know, he comes over as the, the ringmaster 
and it's like just another dude. Yeah. He slaps on that goatee, shaves his head, puts on a black leather vest, and starts like, I mean, his maybe his thing, you know, that, that's what Kevin Owens said, is that Austin's advice to him was never stop running your mouth. And that might have been it, because like his promos, once you got past King of the Ring 96, they were just nonstop amazing, yeah. you know? So maybe that was it. Maybe it was just he he found his character in his promos, yeah, and that that's what clicked. Yeah, I mean, that hap- yeah, it happens, you know. It there, does, yeah. The yeah. people that will be wrestling for years, and they'll find a character that connects with them, and then something clicks, and it takes off. It's just amazing that he's literally the biggest draw ever, you know, and that's and you see this WWE you history. see this pay per view, and if you didn't know that, you wouldn't think just another dude, yeah, just another guy. I know it's always a trip. Uh, then we had uh, Tony Schiavone and hanging out with Vader, who is still carrying the U.S. title. Yeah, Harley Race with, with, was with him, and, as was Paul E. Dangerously. Oh, we forgot to mention. Oh no, wait. The uh, oh yeah, that was coming up next. Um, yeah, so Medusa shows up. So Paul E. Dangerously, Paul Heyman's cutting this promo, and he starts laying into Medusa, who then shows up. No, I think she shows up and interrupts. Okay, all right. Him and then he really lays into her. Oh my gosh. He starts laying into her talking about I'm a man, you're a woman, like you're stupid, you can't think for yourself. I'm firing you. I brought you in. He literally said, "I brought you in. I brought you in to serve whatever needs Rick Rude has." Only because the other hooker wasn't available. Or did he say whore? I, I, no, he said hooker. He said hooker. Okay. Still bad. Still it's real bad. Yeah, it's real bad. But it was, I mean, it was, it's kind of weird. He's like, that's really edgy. Like, I mean, I was told it because, man, talk about heel heat. Like, it was like, you hate this guy. And then Medusa finally, like, he fires her. Well, he fires her and says, you're fired. Joseph Dennis does this. Dude, he smacks her hard on the yeah. arm. Yeah. And she lays into him. She kicks the heck out of his yeah. head. Oh, it was great. Just a vicious head kick. Yeah. And then, like, uh, they then he ha- gets on top of him and starts punching him. They have to be separated. And then he calls her a bitch. Straight up. Um... I thought that was amazing only because it's kind of like, to me, it's kind of like when Vader and Cactus Jack had their, like, super violent, bloody, seemingly out-of-place match in WCW. This felt like ECW. This didn't feel like a WCW promo, but yet it was. And it's like, that's really edgy for a product that's kind of, you know, just seemingly not as... Glitz and glamoury as the WWF, yeah, you know, yeah. it was it felt out of place, but man, it was. I I thought it was. It, it was, was pretty intense. It was pretty intense, and you don't expect that, you know. It was pretty cool. Like Heyman was still very much Heyman. He was so good. Um, oh, they incidentally, I looked this up too because they didn't fight at the next Starcade, but Medusa and him fought at the Clash of Champions the following month, um, and she won by countout. I don't know. I'm sure it's on the network. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I'm assuming she got the majority of the offense in. And I think the Dangerous Alliance disbanded pretty quickly after oh, that could be. this show. That could be. Yeah. Because Medusa comes out with, with Rick Rude. Rick Rude was the top guy in the mm-hmm. alliance. Oh, so. yeah, 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 yeah. So after that, we go to the stage. Sting comes out. Oh, my God. And up from the ground comes... The wheel. The wheel. It is time to spin the wheel. It has like a weird like skull. Yeah, with like flickering lights. Flickering lights. And like some snakes at the bottom on a pedestal. Yeah. And then when when <laughs> there's a stagehand that brings like the 
the lever. <laughs> he to, runs into the shop. Yeah, and, and positions the lever to spin the wheel. Yeah. I doubt it's even connected. <laughs> so Sting pulls the lever. Uh, let me ask him, how do you think this thing actually spun? Do you think there was a dude behind it? Yeah. Just, okay, yeah. So Sting pulls the lever, uh-huh. the wheel spins, and those randomly fireworks come shooting out of the side of it. Yeah, yeah. And it lands on coal miner's glove. Did the did the stop seem sudden to you? Or did it feel like a real spin with a natural stop? I don't know, because I thought I read that that they didn't know what the stipulation yeah, Like, that was a yeah, shoot. Yeah. That was a shoot. Yeah. What the stipulation was going to be. I don't know. Yeah, it was so weird. Yeah, because there was that one shot. I don't think we mentioned There was that one shot preceding some of these when they were talking about it. And they show there's a shot backstage somewhere. And it shows all the different gimmicks that could be chosen. And one of them was oh, the yeah. coal miner's glove. There was a bull rope, a ladder, a bunch of other stuff. Um, Some barbed wire, steel cage. But the great thing about it, though, is that when it lands, when it lands on coal miner glove, Sting looks so confused and mildly disappointed. Yeah. Because he's like, I don't even know what to do now. I have to go back quickly backstage and figure out how to book, how to yeah. do this match. Hey, Bill. What is a coal miner's glove match? But they cut to Jr. and Jesse, and Jesse says it's a glove with steel on it? Yeah, he's like, well, you, you know, it's a coal miner's glove. It's a leather glove, you know, with steel on it. And whoever climbs the pole can get it, and they can use it on their opponent one hit, and you're out. That's pretty much what happened, too. <laughs> <laughs> he called. He called that. One. Although I, we'll get to that. We'll get to the main event yeah. when we get there. Yeah. Um, following that, we had the NWA World Heavyweight Title match between Rick Rude and Masahiro Chono. Correct with referees Harley Race. Well, hold on. Let me. I explained a little bit. There is a coin flip. Yeah. Coin toss. Okay. Rick Rude wins the toss. Do so you think that was a shoot? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I think they worked a coin toss. I mean, you can just have a coin with, you know, two heads or two tails on it. Oh, yeah. Um, so, Rude, of course, selects the Harley Race to be mm-hmm. the uh, referee in the ring. Yeah. And so, uh, Suzaki is the ref on the outside of the ring. Correct, yeah. As well as Ole Anderson, who is the head official of WCW. Yeah. Um, so, the kind of the general story of this match is that uh, each competitor is working the other competitor's body part to best use their finisher. With right. Rick Rude, it's the Rude Awakening neckbreaker, so he's working Chono's head and neck. Of course. Chono used the STF, yeah. and so he's working Rude's lower back. By the way, I totally forgot about the Rude Awakening, but my desire for somebody to have a neckbreaker as their finish is Rick Rude right there, man. It totally can happen. Yeah. He drops that thing like it's a freaking stunner, yeah. too. Yeah, great. he does. Um, so there's one segment after Chono's been uh, working uh, Rude's back for a while mm-hmm. where Rude gets to the outside of the ring and Medusa comes up behind him because Rude's like leaning on the apron and she starts massaging his lower back. <laughs> they make such a great couple. Yeah. I want to see their children. Um, yeah. So there was, yeah. I mean, it was, it was, you know, Rude and Chono could both work. Yeah. So there's some decent stuff going on here. It was kind of a slow paced match. Yeah. Yeah. Like Chono was, it's kind of interesting. Chono, Chono from like here up was all stud. But then he had like a little bit. Of, he had like he did the thing where he puts his tights over like the little bit of stomach that he had. But I feel like if he just put the tights under, it wouldn't be like hanging over or anything. So I don't know why why he would do that. Why did people love the? I don't know. I don't know, man. It's I weird. Know. I have to ask him. 
Um, and so this, this match kind of picked up towards the end. Uh, Rude hit a pile driver on Chono. Mm-hmm. Um, Chono gets his foot on the ropes before the three count. Um, Rude kind of hits the top rope drop kick. Mm-hmm. And then, but, you know, he lands on his back, sells the lower back injury. Yeah. Um, and then Chono accidentally hits Harley Race. We get a ref bump. Yeah. That, uh, Harley sent to the outside. It's like an, an old school, thick old man bump. You always know those because they just sort of like, yeah. they sort of roll back. Yeah. And it, it always looks like it doesn't hurt. It's weird. Like their whole body just is in one. Their body doesn't change. Like usually when somebody takes a bump, they throw their arms back. Yeah. Like yeah, that. yeah. They just go like this. Yeah. It's like somebody has them tied up to like a, a, a stiff plank and they go boom. <laughs> Um, and then uh, Chono throws Rick Rude over the top rope, which by WCW rules... DQ. Should have been a DQ. Yeah. But when he does so, he knocks out both referees. Yes. Rude correct. gets back in the ring, hits a Rude Awakening on Chono. It looked great, too. But there's no ref to count the pinfall. Correct. Um, uh, Rude gets up, I think investigates a little bit. Chono puts him in the STF. Uh, at that point, Suzaki gets in the ring. Mm-hmm. Um, because Rude is like banging on the mat, mm-hmm. which he did every time he's in a submission mood, move. Yeah, I know. Every time Rude, Rude it looked like he's it. tapping out, but he wasn't tapping out. I guess. <laughs> Sorry for banging on the table. Um, and so Suzaki calls for the bell. Yeah. And so uh, it seems like Chono won. Yeah. But then Harley Race gets back in the ring, reverses the decision, and says that Rude wins by DQ because Chono threw Rude over the top rope. Yeah. And then they all brawl. Then Suzaki starts destroying everything yeah, and in sight. He rips off his shirt. It's fantastic. It's great. I was like, I don't know who this ref is, but he's amazing. Yeah. Because he like didn't he like also Jack uh, didn't Harley Race get back in? Yeah. And he like he punched him. He punched him and he like threw him out again or something yeah, and like he that. Suplexed Rick Rude. Yeah. But no, Harley Race when he first got thrown out or when he first like went toppling out, like he toppled out and then he toppled down on the concrete and he's like burly old man guy, so it didn't really look like it affected him, but it couldn't have felt good. Yeah, I know. Poor Holly Race. From what I heard, he like stayed in the business like too long, or like longer than he wanted to because he was just always broke. Forget why. Maybe an accident or some. I don't know. Don't take my word for that. Anyway, he's got another barbarian training video. That yeah, this awesome. is the one with the the cinder or the cinder blocks. Cinder blocks. That yeah. was amazing. Yeah. Following that was a match between the Barbarian with Cactus Jack against Ron Simmons. Man, Ron Simmons got a freaking boxer's entrance. He had like a ton of security around him. He had his like his hands in front on the dude in front of him. Teddy Long was coming mm-hmm. out with him. Mm-hmm. It was rad. Yeah, it was awesome. Yeah. At no point though did he place concrete bricks on Barbarian's back and take just take a sledgehammer. But he did give him a power slam, pick up the win. Yeah. So evidently, getting power slammed by five other yokels wasn't enough to prevent him from taking that one. Ron Simmons had the best power slam. Yeah. Um, back to uh, Tony and Bruno San Martino. And they start talking about WCW's youth movement. So what better way to really exemplify that than bringing in Eric Watts. Bill Watts's kid. Yeah. A.K.A. Black Hole of Charisma. Because this guy looked like he, like, he talked and he was just like, I, I need to watch this again. I don't know what he just said. Oh, my God, he's so boring. Um, anyways, uh, Ron Simmons shows up fresh off getting his victory and, uh, he talks about being happy about winning, I guess. I forget what it was. And then he starts talking about the youth movement. He says, Eric, you're on the good, you're on a good path. Just work hard. That's what I did. Yeah. So good job, Ron. (laughs) Very uplifting. 
I would like Ron Simmons of 1992 to be my life coach. He was very inspirational. Yeah. Yeah, but then he lost that belt to Vader. Um, then we had our main event. Yes. Let me ask him. Taking a look at Jake Snake, Jake the Snake. How old do you think he was? Just looking at his face. Mid 30s. Yeah, he was. Uh, no, he was 38. He was younger than us. Hmm. But you wouldn't know that. Like looking at his face, he doesn't look mid 30s. Come on. No, he, I mean, I just. I mean, I just. He looks late 40s. Yeah, maybe. He looks so. He looks younger today than he did then. He looks so. I was stunned. I was. I was like, how old is he? And today he's only 61. And I did the math on that. I'm like. He was 38. He was or 30s. He was my age. That's weird. Rick Rube is 34. He looked old. Yeah, he did. But Jake looked ancient. He looked so old. But he was like my age. Yeah. You're you were he's he was younger than you. That's insane. Anyways, this is a great match because both it these was guys. We're trying to get to the top of a pole that had to have been 50 feet tall. This pole, like... It was super tall. At no point, I think, besides on close-ups of it, at no point could the main camera fit the coal miner's glove into the shot because the damn thing was so tall. And they were pretty far back. Yeah. Um, I think at one point, Sting is trying to climb the pole. And so he's standing totally straight up, mm-hmm. you know, upright. And it looked like the pole was two stings high. <laughs> So that's about 12 feet. It was so tall. But that's 12 feet above, above the top turnbuckle, the top which is, turnbuckle. What, four and a half, five feet tall. Yeah. So we're talking maybe a 16, 17 foot high pole. Man, I'm telling you, I could, I never, I was like, how far, how are they supposed to get up that? I know. Like, I noticed there were like notches. Were, was it climbing notches? Oh, I didn't notice any notches. Well, I don't know if there were physical notches. I just noticed that it looked like maybe there was something, pain. maybe I was just tripping. I don't know. Well, I think it was like, it was a, a black and white. Okay, maybe that was paint on that, it. That's, yeah. well, that's what it was then. Okay, I thought they might have been notches. No, I think it was just. So you're supposed to do this? Yeah. That's what Sting did at the finish. So uh, uh, Sting and then slide down. Yeah, Sting uh, works Jake's arm this entire match. There's a spot since it's a non-sanctioned match. Yeah. Um. There's of course no disqualification. Yeah. So uh, there's a spot on the outside where uh, uh, Jake runs into the ring post on the outside, mm-hmm. which normally is a disqualification in WCW circa 1992. Running but into the ring post, getting sent into the ring post on the outside. Yes. Okay. But since it was a non-sanctioned match, God, you know, no disqualification. Why did WCW make wrestling so not fun? You get you get rid of the mats, but then everything's a DQ. That doesn't make any sense. No. If you get rid of the mats, everything should be no DQ. Yes. Um, and then uh, there's a spot where uh, uh, Jake undoes his wrist tape and chokes Sting with it. Oh, good job. Um, so uh, Sting's strategy made a lot of sense because he's working Jake's arm. He can't climb a 17-foot pole yeah. with one arm. That's true. And I think Jake was just, in general, tried to use every, uh, you know, like, cheap, dirty, underhanded tactic. I mean, given how... Sting down long enough. Given how we're not sure exactly how Jake dirty that pole might have been. Yeah. I, I'm not even sure you can climb that thing with two hands, but... It happened. Yeah, Sting did it. So, uh, Jake hits a rainmaker. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. 
at one point. Oh, and then right. he hits a DDT. Yeah. But then since his arm has been so badly hurt, he can't get climb the pole. He yeah. tries to climb the pole, but Sting pulls him off. Yeah. And there was this great bit where Sting was on. So so you're watching. I'm watching TV. So the pole is on the right side of the frame. Mm-hmm. Sting is. The pole is to his right. Mm-hmm. He leaps around the turnbuckle mm-hmm. to the other side to hit Jake. Yeah. It was a pretty impressive feat yeah, of athleticism. Yeah, yeah. No, it was, it was so fluid. Yeah. Um, at that point, Cactus Jack runs out with a bag. Inside oh, that bag is God. Jake's snake, which they say was a cobra. Yeah, they say it was a cobra, and JR even made a point of saying, there is anti-cobra venom. Several times during the show. Yeah, it was available. It, it, wasn't right. a, it wasn't a cobra, though. No. Um, so uh, while... Jake and Cactus Jack are working their snake situation out. <laughs> um, Sting climbs the pole, gets the glove, hits Jake, I think, in the leg? Mm-hmm. Yeah, sounds the right. Yeah. Somewhere in the lower part of his body. Quickly covers him. Mm-hmm. While, and all this time, Jake has a snake in his hand. Yeah. And then, so Sting pins them, gets the three count. And this whole time, Jake's like this with a snake on his face, trying to get the snake to bite him. It oh. looked like. Okay, so... Because he's like rubbing the snake on his face. What was his character doing? Who, Jake? Yeah. I think it was supposed to be him trying to keep the snake from biting him. But it's plainly obvious he was trying to get snake tooth into his cheek. Like, I can appreciate the the acting effort that he put through because that has to be a very difficult situation. You can literally see him doing this with a snake head. Like, at first he was like... And then it's just he's like... Bite me. Bite me, snake. On there. At no point is he like this. It's all like... It was... At first I thought it was... A fake snake, or yeah. they just sedated it, or but something. But then you see a close-up of blood and coming the out of it. Things are literally in him, and he's like, "Oh, this is a bad idea." And there's blood running down his cheek. Yeah, there's blood running down his cheek. My favorite part was when Sting noticed what was happening and freaks out and like backs up against the ropes. He's like, "This is screwed up. This is really dark now. This is not good. This got <laughs> weird quick." Well, like, ooh. That's so no the, yeah, so uh, Cactus Jack helps Jake out of the ring, and Jake's, like, crawling up the entryway. And ja- uh, uh, Foley's like, somebody help him! Yeah. Somebody help him! But then Jake reaches out for Foley, and he's like, bah, he backs up. Yeah, he's yeah, like, I don't yeah. want any part of that snake. So they make their way back behind the curtain, and they cut back to the ring, and Sting's just kind of like, yeah. All right, well. Another win for the Stinger. Yeah. Nice. Got that match out of the way. Good, good looking glove here. I know. I wonder if the opposite one is backstage so I can do some coal mining later. <laughs> so rather than end the show right there, <laughs> they go back to, to Tony and Bruno. Yeah. They give their recap. Yeah. But the show still doesn't end. No, it doesn't. It goes back to uh, Jim Ross and Jesse for a proper sign-off. Yes. Yeah, exactly. They can recap what we just lived through. I loved it, man. I thought it was it was bizarre. It was confusing. Oh, I also looked up Rick Rude, why he ended up in WCW. And it was kind of a pay dispute a little bit. Apparently, he had been injured in WWF, but they were still advertising him for like a post-slate of SummerSlam shows or something. And he got mad because he wasn't being compensated for being advertised on those shows, even though they knew that he wasn't going to be there because of the injury. And he was like, well, if you're using me to sell these, then i got to be worth something, so I want some money for that. Yeah. Um, and they said no, and he left. That was according to some thread on Reddit. I don't know if it's true or not, hmm. but that's what they said. So, yeah, anyways. Um, so we, what are we going to do for the next one of these? Let's decide that now. So yeah, let's do that now so we can watch, we can watch the You suggested uh, an ECW pay-per-view. Best ECW pay-per-view. I want to know what the best one was. Um... Uh, 
wrestling forum. I like rest. I like forums. I'll go to forums. Somebody, please give me a list. Many consider Heatwave '98 great. Heatwave '98. Heatwave '98. Let me look at that. Okay. Well, let's do. Uh, let's do uh, Heatwave '98. Wait. What did I say? Heatwave or hardcore? You want to do Barely Legal '97? Barely Legal '97. That sounds good. Um, Taz and Sabu. Ooh. Um, Terry Funk versus Raven. Oh, yeah. Oh, hell yeah. This is Terry Funk heavy. Oh, and before that, it was Funk versus Sandman versus Stevie Richards. Oh, beautiful. RVD versus Lance Storm. Oh, yeah. That's good. That's good. All right. Barely Legal 97 it is. All right. Our next pay-per-view is going to be ECW's Barely Legal 1997. Perfect. Yes. All right. Good. Uh, Anyways, let us know your thoughts in the comments about all that. And until next time, we'll talk to you guys later. Bye. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because, you know, if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now, all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. Or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Our kids have said to us since we moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, the values that you know Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com/live.